Hey guys, this is Anthony Robert Grasso here with Stephen Brittenham at the Hollywood Beyond Show podcast. I am uh, going to be a guest today with him talking about my teaching as well as directing um, and also my 35 years as an actor. I just want to say thank you, Stephen, for this opportunity. Looking forward. Hollywood and Beyond podcast with Cincinnati host Stephen Brittingham. Experience meaningful and in-depth interviews with Hollywood's most interesting people. Enjoy the show. This is Stephen, host of Hollywood and Beyond, where I strive to bring you meaningful and in-depth interviews. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Send host Steve Brittingham your comments and questions to hollywoodandbeyondshow at gmail.com. That is hollywoodandbeyondshow at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, friends and listeners. This is your host, Stephen Brittingham. I always appreciate those who listen and for all of the awesome support. Thank you so much. Anthony Robert Grasso is my guest today on Hollywood and Beyond. I am looking forward to learning more about his artistic journey and what a truly interesting and diverse journey it has been. Anthony is someone I can describe as being a true artist in a career that has spanned literally over three decades, including winning several awards along the way. My guest is most definitely a seasoned pro. Anthony's passion for the craft of acting and for artistic projects actually began at a very young age. Anthony has been quoted as saying, and I quote, It was my father's and mother's love for old movies and music that inspired me to fall in love with cinema, unquote. From his early years all the way up to some of his recent projects, Anthony will be sharing some of his background and those impressive achievements on the show today. And may I also add, it is always a treat to speak with someone from the New York area. Anthony Robert Grasso, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, my friend. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for having me. That was such a, a, a lovely intro. I didn't know you were going to mention my parents got me a little upset. <laughs> that was so wonderful. Yeah, they, they, uh, they sure did give me um, the green light for sure. Uh, so thank you for mentioning that. Well, it's so nice to have you here. You are most welcome, my friend, and 
I have enjoyed learning more about you, and it's just so clear to me your talents as an actor, and I have no doubt equally as well as a director and a uh, acting coach or teacher, however you might want to describe yourself in that way. I I would say all of those. (laughs) All of those count. Gotcha. Exactly. (laughs) Well, where are you joining me from today, Anthony? I I am right now uh, quarantined at home uh, in New Jersey, but I teach out of New York City. I'm about 10 miles from Manhattan. Well, I hope this finds you and family all safe and sound. Yeah. Yeah, we've been hunkered down here four months. I can't believe it's four months. It's just so crazy how four months already have gone by. It, it really is. And it feels longer now. Like, it feels like we've just been dealing with this practically the whole year. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's going to go all the way to the end of the year, I think. I think that you may be right about that. So we just have to keep um, hanging in there the best that we can and hold on to hope and, and just try to be as productive as possible in the meantime. So I'm so glad to hear that you and family are all doing well during this challenging time. And I also hope the listeners out there are also doing uh, well at this time. Well, you've uh, mentioned where you are joining me from, Anthony, but how about we go way back? Where are you actually from? Um, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, uh, Bensonhurst. Um, Nice little Italian Jewish neighborhood. (laughs) And uh, it was the, the best of both, I'd say, growing up. Uh, we had inner city kind of surroundings, uh, kids always playing in the streets and houses very close together. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Uh, but it was a great, it was a great childhood there. Sounds like it. And what Mm -hmm. did you like to do for fun? Was there anything in particular that you enjoyed doing while you were growing up? Any sort of adventures that come to mind, so to speak? Well, for sure, I went to the movies a lot. We had, you know, the big theaters back then. The Lowy's Oriental um, in Bensonhurst was a uh, two, three, actually, tier movie house with chandeliers. And uh, and I, I mean, it's just unheard of today. You don't see them. It was sort of like the Ziegfeld of the area. Uh, really large. And when you went to a movie there, you had the balconies and really encompassed the that event, if you will. Um, I did a lot of artwork, uh, some sports. I wasn't a great sports guy, but I did play, uh, we called it pocket ball, where you would go into the schoolyard and you would hit off the, the caged windows. And the first floor was first base, second, I mean, uh, was, a, was a single and then a double and then a triple. <laughs> so that was always fun for the young kids to play. And, uh, me, and we did a lot of stick ball, um, I mean, he played Scully. I don't know if you remember that. I feel like I'm aging myself. But yeah, Scully Scully was you take a, a Coca-Cola bottle cap and you put a hot uh, wax or clay and it weighs it down. And then you would have this, um, this diagram on the street done with chalk that you would have to go from one box to the next box. And then you'd have to hit your friend out of the box. It was a great game. Hours you would spend doing that. And the funny thing was it was in the middle of the street. So every, every time a car would come by, you would hear this, car! <laughs> and we would all get up, and we would all get up and let the car pass. Uh, Johnny Pumps in the summertime were big. 
Uh, we didn't have pools. I did have a pool growing up, though, for a short time. And there was a park pool. And I lived right near Cephalo Park, which is uh, this very large park on Bay Parkway in, in uh, Brooklyn. So we spent a lot of time in that park. I mean, they had everything there from the playground to uh, uh, baseball fields and basketball. And, and, of course, the park pool, that we called it. So, yeah, it was fun. Good time. It sounds like fun and, and really good memories. Yeah. And then and then for mischief. <laughs> I would uh, go roofing. I don't know if you would know roofing, means, but oh my, roofing! You no, no, not a drug like a roofie. <laughs> well, More I'm like, thinking of uh, jumping from you, roof to roof. Well, that is that's exactly what we did, but oh, they were connected. My. Yeah, but they were connected, and okay. they were uh, all the garage roofs. So you were really only a, like a story high. Okay, and you would like see how far you can go down the street. You know, down the block. How many? How many of the garages were connected? And then we would play manhunt with all the boys. And then we would, you know, do things like that and do a lot of climbing and crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but it was fun. I'll tell you what, uh, so many adventures growing up. I mean, uh, I, no doubt about it. But, you know, it, these activities, most of them sound like New York activities. Am I wrong about that or more? Oh, East no, Coast? absolutely. <laughs> No, all New York. I, I was about six stops away from Coney Island, too. So we oh, would take wow. the subway. We would take the subway right to Coney Island. Um, and then I was on the N line. And then the end, I don't think it's the N line anymore, but I think it's the W now. But the N line would take you all the way to Coney Island. And then it would take you into the city. So I would take the train a lot with my friends. It was a big adventure. And I remember, uh, I always say this to people, um, when, the, when the Twin Towers were there, as a young, you know, young teen, I'd say about 11 to 13, we would take these trains, which I would never allow my kids to do today. Um, and I would look at those buildings as we were going over the bridge on the train. And I just thought it was like Emerald City, you know, and I knew one day I was going to live there. I just knew it. I said, I'm going to live in this city one day. I loved Manhattan even as a kid. And then I moved there when I was in my 20s. You made that come true for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But my parents liked going there. Oh, okay. So they would take us to the San Gennaro Fees. And, uh, yeah, that was always a, a fun excursion. And, again, it wasn't far. We were about 30 minutes, 35 minutes from Manhattan. Well, there's something about New York City that intrigues me. You know, I, I once lived in Los Angeles and in Hollywood, and I felt very comfortable there. But I have to say, my one-time visit to the Big Apple for a week, it's just something about it I find so appealing and intriguing. Anthony, when I am watching a movie that's set in New York City, I just soak in the atmosphere. It's just an, an amazing city. Oh, you know, sadly, uh, because of the pandemic, I haven't been in in four months. And in the 16 years I moved out, because we had my daughter, um, I, I was there daily, every day. I would travel in for work. So it's been interesting to not get the city pulse, because I think you're right. There's such a comfort in, in the, I used to say to people, it's like going into the sea where the currency kind of moves you, and there's this pulse that you don't get anywhere else. You really don't. You know, Anthony, I remember from my hotel room, we were way up there too. 
I used to look out at the city at night, and you know this, of all people, mm-hmm. there's just something about my view was perfect. The, the street just went on and on and on. Yeah, the twinkly lights. And it just stirred my heart. Yeah, yeah, the twinkly lights and the, the yellow cabs. And, yep, yep. and Anthony, does I this count that. as roofing? I would say probably not. But being adventurous 20-some-year-olds, we went up to the top of the hotel. Oh, I, I can't even believe I did this. Roof and took a look around. But I don't know if I would do that today. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. You know, if it's a uh, open to the public, I, I mean, but if it wasn't, I love that. Yeah. See, I would do things like that. It's crazy. But yeah, I love that stuff. Well, I'm glad but I it's, did. You know, it's, it's, yeah, me too. And, you know, it took me a long time, Stephen, to appreciate my, my upbringing because I thought, you know, what's Brooklyn, you know, but then I realized how many people came out of Brooklyn, you know, so many successful artists came out of Brooklyn and um, my parents, you know, uh, they started in Williamsburg and then they moved into uh, Bensonhurst and they were able to buy a home with another family who became like my second family. This is why um, I always say I'm half Jewish, even though I'm all Italian uh, because they were Jewish and we we celebrated their holidays and ate a lot of the foods and so I I'm kind of a, a pizza bagel <laughs> as I tell people yeah I love it yeah and I still yeah and I still uh, you know sometimes have Passover so I want my daughter to know what that's like and and then of course we have Easter and we have you know. Um, you know, all the, uh, all the Catholicism holidays, if you will. I'm actually not a Catholic anymore. We're Episcopalians. It's a little Catholic light, as I say. Well, I really like that approach. And your daughter will be able to have different uh, experiences and viewpoints and perspective. That That's very yeah. beneficial for her upbringing. Yeah, especially because she does go to a Catholic high school, which is not necessarily... Um, uh, means you have to be a Catholic. There are other people there. There are Buddhists there. There are, there are um, other, you know, religions there. But uh, for her, I, I like that she gets a little bit of everything. And yeah, so to keep the diversity open, I like that. You know, I mentioned your father and mother during the opening segment, and you, you responded that it made you feel emotional. And They really did. Well, I hope it was all good emotions for you. No, no, it was wonderful. It was just I haven't heard that in a while, and I just like had a little flash. It was great. Well, I'll <laughs> tell you what. When when I read that quotation from you, it, it made me emotional. I just found it to be so so endearing. And uh, mm, I was you. curious, though. You said old movies and music. Could you provide a few examples of what they enjoy? Sure. Well, you know, like my dad was a huge James Cagney fan. So um, we've watched every James Cagney film you can come by. Um, You know, all the old classics with James Stewart and Susan Hayward and um, Ronald Coleman, you know, all the older films. Um, And then he was a singer, my dad. My father had a beautiful voice. He sounded a lot like Frank Sinatra. So we liked all those musicals, Mario Alonzo films. I watched every Mario Alonzo film you can come by. And we would all watch it together. And, you know, and today I still play, you know, classical music because my dad, my father loved opera. So, uh, 
Yeah, my mom was more of a glamorous type. She was uh, kind of a, a movie star that never you know, went to Hollywood. Uh, people knew her in my area. She was uh, a wonderful uh, personality. She worked in a, in a, a very high-end shoe store. Like today, it would be like a Jimmy Choo uh, along um, 86th Street in Brooklyn. And it was called Sugar, Sugar Shoes. Uh, but prior to that, it was clothing and shoes. And she was known uh, for many generations. She worked there like 30 years. Where she would dress people for their for their six sweet sixteens to their marriages to their first child baptisms. I mean, it's just astounding how many people knew my mom. Um, and she was a very well dressed platinum blonde, beautiful woman. She was like a little throwback to that time. She's a cool lady. Sounds like a very lovely lady. Oh yeah, she was the best. You know, and 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 I tell my friends a lot, especially my students, I have a lot of different ages in my classes. Uh, I have some people from 26 to 74, but you know, all the older guys and gals, you know, will, will, will all agree how, how pertinent it is to have a parent that's supportive in the arts because it's so easy to have the desire and then to not have the support. So therefore you then take, uh, a job maybe that's more safe and secured and not necessarily making you as happy. My mom, on the other hand, and my dad, when I graduated from school of visual arts, I, you know, I was originally going to be an art director and a fine art major with a minor in theater. And then I got bit by the theater bug. Uh, I, 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 I think it was like junior year in college. And I said, guys, I think I want to just really be an actor. And I waited for the, for the storm to hit, but none of them went there. They just looked at me and said, okay, here's the deal. My father said, you finish school because you have to always finish what you start. And that was the deal. I said, okay. And my mom said, you have to listen to your heart and we're here and we'll support you. And they did. I was very lucky. Very lucky. Very, very lucky. Yeah. I mean, it could have easily went the other direction. You know, I remember Jodie Foster when she won her Oscar, I'll never forget the word she said. Uh, she said, you know, I think my mother, I think her mother was named Brandy or something like that. She said, uh, for always telling me my paintings were little Picassos. And I just smiled because my parents said that. And I always really, as an, uh, as a, as a middle-aged man now, I, I go, wow, if I can do that for my kid, that, that'd be great. I really appreciate so, you sharing yeah. all of that. Oh, thank you. No, thanks for bringing that up. We hardly ever talk about that, so it's it's always nice. You are most welcome because I think that a support from parents and family in general, and hopefully a few good friends along the way, it just changes so much for a person who is artistic and wants to to be a part of artistic projects. Because without that. You can really mm-hmm. feel isolated. You can almost feel like, oh, well, I guess I'm not really supposed to be doing this. Or you feel like you're being judged all the time. That's a heavy burden, for I think, for no matter how good you are. I think that is mm-hmm. just something that you don't want on your shoulder. So when you have the parents like you have that support you, I mean, just listen to your response. It just says everything, doesn't it? Yeah. And my mom was a hard worker. You know, she worked seven, sometimes seven days a week, and she loved it. Um, that's where I get a little bit of my work ethic, I think, because I'm a hard worker. I, 
I have a very strong um, tenacity to just get get through it. Uh, you know, on my normal busy day, Stephen, when when post or pre rather uh, pandemic, I would uh, you know shoot headshots in the day. I then would go to lunch and then I'd go teach till the evening. So my days were about twelve hours, and uh, do that six days a week. You know, knocking out work. And it's exhausting too when you're when you're focused so focused on a client uh, doing headshots. I remember I would feel drained, and then I'd have to get my energy back up to now teach a class of fourteen to sixteen. And by the end of that, you know, I'm fine when I'm teaching. I would tell people I'm always more awake when I'm when I'm working. The minute the class would end, you could sop my brain up with a sponge <laughs> and nothing else to give. You know, funny and how I would it works. Take the bus home. Yeah, I, I would I would be on the bus just drained, you know. But I love it. I mean, it's it's because you're using that other side of the brain. Um, and an old teacher of mine, when I studied abroad, she would say, you know, as an actor or as an artist at any 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 art form, she said, if you're not using your creative eye out, it will turn in, and that's where depression and doubt. And, you know, it, it interfere with your relationships and, you know, at home and with yourself and with your friends. And I agree with that. If I didn't teach, uh, pretty much every day I teach, except for Saturday, Sunday, I would probably start to, right now during the pandemic, not having any real auditions happening, um, or as many, I should say, I would probably start feeling antsy and, and it would start to affect me. But because I'm constantly putting my creative eye out, it, it really makes a difference. So I'm getting fed. I'm feeding the beast, if you will. That is wonderful um, that you are uh, finding a way to keep yourself sustained through all of this. Mm -hmm. Anthony, my grandparents raised me. So grandma was actually mom to me. I called her mom my, my entire life. And mm. you know what? She used to fill the house with music. Sinatra, Dean Martin, The Carpenters, Kenny Rogers, Patsy Cline, Brenda mm. Lee. So you kind of get an idea. Chet Atkins. I uh, mm. used to hear a lot of Chet Atkins. Nat King Cole. And you know what? Uh, it, it was. It's so nice that all wow. these years later, that influence, I still love listening to that music uh, to this day. Oh, yeah. Well, do you remember my um, my uh, story about having yes. a two-family house shared with a family that was Jewish who became like my aunt and uncle? They're like my aunt and uncle. And uh, he, his name was Dave. My dad and mom were Joe and Lee. Um, Dave was a big music uh, collector. So we listened to everything that you just mentioned, and you just brought me right back. Amazing. That's a time, man. We don't get that. And he had albums. Good old albums. <laughs> so we would look at the art on the albums and we'd flip it over. I used to, oh, yeah, I used to love that. Uh, I missed that because I was thinking about that the other day, how now we just stream everything. You don't even see the product. You remember going to get like a DVD yes. or DVR? Or, yes. Uh, a VCR, oh, yeah. Right? Remember that? You had I to go love get the going tape. into Blockbuster. That was fun. My <laughs> wife and I talked about that. She used to work. 
Yeah, that was like a. It was like it was almost like shopping for the movie you want to watch rather than surfing. Yeah, I miss that. But yeah, see, music is very instrumental. We do that here. My daughter loves Frank Sinatra. Thank God, because I play it all the time. My wife and I would play Dean Martin. You know, a wedding song was Dean Martin. Oh. I mean, not Dean Martin. Uh, Tony Bennett. To- oh, Tony Bennett. There's another. So, so so important to have that. You know, yeah, and that came from my dad. You know, listening to that. And from my uncle Dave, and yeah, and very important. It's a big part of our childhood, wasn't it? That was special. It sure was. And Anthony, I want to tell you that I did all I could to keep LPs alive, oh, to keep al- albums available, oh, good for because you. when the transition to CDs was occurring, you know that was a big change growing up in the '80s. You're used to to records and the big feel of them. Oh yeah, I, I remember actually this started panicking. And I told myself, well, if I go out and spend extra amounts of money on just albums, that somehow that will help boost sales. <laughs> yeah. Well, but my plan did not work. It's sad though that we did go from that LP to the DVD, you know, or rather the CD. Yes. And now you don't even get that, right? I still have them in the car. Isn't that something to think about? Yeah, I still have them in the car, but now we use Spotify and you know and and right. I iTunes Apple and, Music. And now you just <laughs> plug it right into your but my old car, we had a CD player. I still have it actually. I have a I have a ten year old car. My new car doesn't have that. There's no C D player. Uh <laughs> so weird. It's just you know, real real sense of time, isn't it? Well, good for you, man. That's great that you had that. You know, I'm wondering, are you taking this time? to you know maybe catch up on some films that you always wanted to see that you didn't get to see maybe revisit ones that you love i mean are you taking this time to maybe also just uh be a part of other people's projects and and just kind of uh you know during this time um uh, take advantage of such an opportunity well yeah um unfortunately i don't really have a lot of time in the night because i teach it till about 10 10 15 so and I get up rather early. I get up like seven, seven thirty. So, so you're I still keeping busy. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm teaching every night uh, via Zoom. Uh, I I change the whole platform of my of my classes, and it works actually really well. It translates beautifully. But what I did do, um, and speaking of time that I had, uh, is, is we did a lot of projects around the house, and uh, my wife and I we we've been having good quality time. You know, we meditate, we we take walks. I'm just really enjoying her. And then um, I've worked on my inner work of my, of my career, meaning I have a brand new website that I'm so excited uh, that I got done. And doing the website in the nature of mine was like having four websites in one. A, because it's, there's an acting part, there's a directing part, and there's a teaching part, and then there's a headshot part. It's very um, nice, so, too. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I happened to get turned on to this wonderful actor uh, and, and media artist named Neuron um, with yummyzest.com, if I could throw a plug out there. Uh, he, he, I knew him through people, and then I saw a few of his websites through friends of mine that he had worked on, so I reached out to him. And he kind of got really jazzed because he said, you know, I don't have usually this kind of a, a project because of the nature of what I do. And then I have a, an e-commerce on it and 
you know, there's a service and, and, and it's, it's a bigger deal is what I'm saying. So the scope of my website needed to just take it to the next level. So I got to do that. Even though my last website was fine, it just didn't function the same way. So the functionality is better. Uh, we're doing e-blast and emails and marketing that I've never done. So I really got into the inner workings that I didn't have the time to do. And then I worked on uh, my IMBD and I worked on my um, my Access Access stuff that you need to upgrade. Uh, I updated, uh, you know, my, my self-tape equipment because, you know, you, when you're running, and I was running daily, I'd be out of the house by 11, I wouldn't get home till 11. Um, so my mornings were, you know, a quick workout, you know, some time with my wife and then boom, I'm out the door. Uh, and, and also this other time gave me some time with my family. I got to have dinner every night with my family, which I have to tell you, I really miss that. So the dinners, I remember my dad, we would always have dinner with my dad. My mom worked late and he would always say, this is the one time that I require your attention. And I love that. <laughs> I mean, those are my best moments when I think back of my childhood, because we, no matter where we were, no matter what we were doing, we had to stop at a certain time that we knew dinner time, and we would all gather and pitch in and sit down and eat. And I just really, you know, even with my own daughter, I get upset if she's like, uh, I'm not hungry, I don't want to eat. I'm like, well, then come down anyway. And you can have something to drink with us, but I want you to have the table. That's so And nice. little does she know, yeah, little does she know why. You know, right now she thinks I'm, a, I'm, I'm annoying, as she would say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, team. down the road, she'll probably look back right. and go, I'm glad that dad uh, wanted me to be there for, for dinner. Yeah, one can hope. <laughs> I, I think so. But I do. I do think so. I do. Well, you, you know, Anthony, I'm, I'm just really enjoyed listening to you share Thank all you. of that. And I have to say, the most important thing of all as some of us do have extra time, or at least like in your case, you know, a little more extra time than usual is just the opportunity to spend it with family that you, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that you care for so much and the, to do activities maybe that you wouldn't be able to do as much. And I think that's the biggest plus. And I loved when you just said taking walks, uh, I've always really enjoyed walks, but I find with yeah. everything going on, it really even has more significance for me because I'm really trying to clear my thoughts and, and stay positive and, and just keep looking ahead, uh, throughout all of this. So I, I wanted to say thank you for sharing all of that with me. Yeah. Walking, uh, you know, is a kind of a meditation in itself. Uh, I agree. there was this, there's this writer, uh, What's her name? Cameron, um, something Cameron, Louise Cameron. I can't remember the first name. What? Anyway, she did a book uh, that I read many, many years ago called um, uh, The Artist's Challenge. Uh, no, The Artist's Way. I'm sorry, The Artist's Way. And basically it was this kind of a 12-week way to kind of reevaluate things and to write morning pages and to express a lot of inner thinking and getting in touch with your higher self. And it was really, really cool. And I remember doing that in my 30s. And everything that I wanted to do came true because she kind of manifested it and put it out there. She was actually married to, um, oh, Julie Cameron, that was the name. She was married to um, Martin Scorsese. And she, she had this anecdote 
which I loved. She said she was at a dinner and afterwards all the guys, and this was the group. It was Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg sitting all unknown. <laughs> wow. You know, just, just starting their careers and they all had very vivid ideas of what they wanted. George Lucas said he had this wonderful idea for a movie that dealt with outer space. And what came out of that was Star Wars. Steven Spielberg talked about this E.T. extra, you know, uh, this, this alien. And they all went on to make blockbusters, you know. So she that said, you know, he's not one of yeah, isn't that great? And she said not one of them became what she calls crazy maker who would sabotage that dream or that vision. They all supported it and said, do it. You should do it, you know. And it's interesting because if you're in a group of people and you mention something, you go, oh, that's not going to work or that's not good. Then, I, So this is the answer that I learned because of this book. I, and I get this a lot throughout my life especially with family members who don't quite get what I do. I say, thanks for sharing, but I think I'll do it anyway. And that's it. And then they can't argue with you because you're not getting angry. <laughs> right. You just say, thank that's you. Right. But I think I'll, but I think I'll do it anyway. And I, I live my life that way. You know, I've been living my life that way, but just uh, to piggyback something that you said earlier about, you know, family time and taking, you know, having this extra time on my hands. I also got into my health and working on health because of what's happening out there, I said, I got to go within. So I, I've actually working with a personal trainer via Zoom. And that's been amazing for me. You know, so not just, in, you know, you know the, doing the inner work, it's also keeping the body, the shell, the meat suit, if people call it that, healthy. And it feels great. You know, uh, I'm in my 50s and, you know, this business is about longevity so I thought, well, here's a good time. Sort of like, you know, when someone does time, they get in good shape. <laughs> so I <feel laughs> Makes like sense, doesn't like it? I'm, yeah, yeah. So well, I'm like, good All for right. you. That, that, I, I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And I tell people that, you know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity to, to, to think about our health. Uh, you know, our health life, uh, absolutely, or our diet, mm -hmm. or or maybe if there's a hobby that we've uh, always been wanting to do and didn't have the time or or uh, opportunity. I mean, you know, now is a time to try all sorts of things. Well, uh, you know, it's so you are stressful. a great example of that. Thank you. Well, it's so stressful, right, being uh, yes. in the world right now and uh, filled with a lot of anxiety and uncertainty and my my trainer Sam Kazezi, he um, wonderful guy. If anybody ever wants his info, I can leave it with you. Um, he's really spiritual as well, and and very connected to uh, his body, and he's in great shape. And he and he and I were just chatting earlier, and he said, you know, it's studies show you that good health rituals keep you away from stress and keep you away from anxiety and overeating and. Um, and abusing yourself because, you know, when we feeling sad, sometimes we want to, you know, mother ourselves and we do it with either food or even a substance. So I think it's important that at this time, being that so many people are, you know, getting ill and some have passed, many have passed, some that I know is what I was going to say. Uh, it's really just daunting and, and it makes me feel a little 
without control. So I guess in one way, you know, you can control that, you know, as much as you can. Well said. By, by maintaining a healthy, you know? Yeah. I think it's important right now. Well, I'm very curious, Anthony, Mm -hmm. that despite the encouragement from your parents and your own natural interest in the arts in acting and all of that, I'm wondering though, was there ever any thoughts as you were growing up of perhaps a different career path for you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, I went to school of visual arts and, uh, as a kid from an early age, from kindergarten, I remember this vividly. Um, my kindergarten teacher noticed that I was, uh, as she would say, uh, had a special gift, you know, in the arts. And she said, uh, so she would put me in separate areas to be in the art shows and all that. So from early on at that age, I knew I wanted to be an artist. I was good at it. And so for a long time, I thought I'd be an artist. And then I saw the Poseidon Adventure in 1970. <laughs> was it 1973? I was that about nine. About right. Yeah, 73, 74. I was about nine. And I remember I was in the Walker Theater in Brooklyn. It's another big theater at the time. And I remember just falling into this movie like I was in it. And I just, my imagination just took over. And then I ended up staying in the theater uh, a few times. That Back then, you'd go into the bathrooms and hide so when they cleaned them out. And then when they let the new people in, you go back in and you do a second <laughs> viewing. <laughs> I did that three times. And uh, wow, I spent the whole day. Yeah, yeah, I spent the whole day in the theater. So I learned the dialogue. So I come home and I would act it out. But I was very quiet. And my brothers, they were way more um, showy. They like to sing in front of people. And I would always be in the background. Like, no, I'm the artist. I'm not going to do that. Oddly enough, I'm the I'm the actor today. But around 15 was when uh, I was going through a patch where I was hanging out with the wrong people. I was drinking beer and, you know, just quitting school, kind of not doing what I should be doing. And, and my dad, you know, he's a no nonsense guy. He wasn't a mean man. He never really raised his voice. He just was very stoic and loving. And he just said, all right, here's the deal. You don't, if you don't go to school, I'm taking you out. So you get a job, you participate with the bills. <laughs> he's very clear. And he took me to school. And I thought uh, I was going to sign out at 16. And then my heart started to get nervous. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to leave school. So I said, wait a minute, let's just think about this. And while all that was happening, this drama teacher overheard. And she said to me, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. She said, but, if, you know, I overheard your story. She said, if you come to my class, I, I'll pass you if you just show. And I went well, what's your class? And she said, well, it's, it's an English class, but it's drama. You read plays, you act them out. So it, it piqued my interest. So I went. And I was like, if you can imagine Greece, remember John Travolta in, in the back oh, yes. with the leather jacket? I was yes. like the kid with the leather jacket who smoked, thought he was cooler than anybody. <laughs> you know, this is all bogus. And then all of a sudden I fell in love with it. And, you can't uh, just walk so out of a drive-in. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it was hysterical. I mean, I laugh today when I think about it. But she was so sweet, this teacher, Mrs. McKinley. I never forget her name. Um, and she had me get up and to, you know to do something. And I remember I went up. I learned the monologue, and it was my first time ever doing that in front of anybody. 
And I remember I was terrified, but something took over. And, and I swear to you, the light in the room changed. Like, I literally felt the room change. And then when I came out of it, she looked over at me very quietly and said, did you ever think of doing this professionally? And uh, I just, I remember, wow. I was, like, my eyes welled. Yeah, my eyes welled up. And I went, um, well, I wouldn't even know what to do. And so with that, uh, I had to make up a lot of classes. So I never really partake, uh, partake in, in any of the school plays, but I went to them. I had a lot of schoolwork and then I had a job. When I graduated and went to college, it was when I was now 20. I was in Italy. And the third time this came up for me was an actress who was on a soap opera. Her name was Elizabeth Hubbard. I don't know if you know that name. She played. Yes. Um, I didn't know her. I didn't know her at all uh, at that time in my life. But she was a big, big star on CBS as the world turns. And I think she was a friend of my teachers. So we ended up sitting um, in Rome in the Piazza Nova, Novona. And uh, she was with a friend. And her friend said, and, and they're looking at me and we're talking. And they said, how come you're not an actor? And I said, oh, my God, I don't know. I wouldn't know what to do. So she said, well, I'll tell you what to do. And she gave me a couple of names. When I got back to the stage, she said, follow this up. So I did, you know, and the first thing she wanted me to do was work on my accent. I had this Brooklynese accent and, you know, heavy, heavy Brooklyn accent. And it's interesting. I can get it in two minutes as I go home and hang out with my, with my brothers <laughs> and my sister, you know, it's just coming back. <laughs> but so I went and I took speech for about, six months to eight months. And then uh, I started my first acting class and then that was that. And then my first classes that I've taken, I didn't know for sure if this was my, my, my path. I thought, well, I'm in school to be an art director, blah, blah, blah. And the lady that ran that school, she's no longer alive. Um, Elaine Gold from the corner law studio. She said, well, I'm not letting you leave. Uh, I'm going to scholarship you if you want to work here because there was also money constraints. So I said, all right. And, and so I became her, like her, I cleaned up and, you know, did all the, the grunt work and I got classes and I, and I, uh, it was actually more like a discounted rate. So I was able to swing it. And she said, cause I see something in you. I've been watching you. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. And she goes, I'm telling you, you're going to be an actor. And sure. She was right. She was right. Uh, I think of all the people in that class, it's only me and someone else. I think it's the last. So you never know. You know, you just never know the people that paved the way. I tell people, look for that in your life. If it comes up more than once, chances are you know, you got to pay attention. And for me, it came in late. I knew uh, in my heart that when I even went into art direction, I went into that because I wanted to be on set. I thought that would be fun. But what I didn't realize when I, when I was on set working on a commercial, even as like an apprentice, I wanted to be in front of the camera. And that's when it hit me. And then all that came to me. I had to go all the way to Italy to find that out. <laughs> so oh, that's, wow. a, that's a fun story. Yeah, yeah. It that's is a, really a cool fun story. story. Well, two mm -hmm. things I'd like to point out. One is that you had literally a life-changing moment uh, in that class. And second mm -hmm. of all, you know, isn't it something else that 
I find this more and more. I hear about this more and more that someone just helped nudge them along the way to to, to really start achieving um, their goals or to realize that hey, I, I really do want to try being an actor. And you just shared mm-hmm. a story like that. I mean, what a what a influence on you it, to have someone encourage you like that and and offer assistance and. And, and I tell you what, you can't just discount that when someone, you know, encourages another person in that way. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, as I'm a parent of a 16-year-old around the same age uh, that I was, um, my daughter responds really well to teachers who see her, really see her, see her humor, see her intelligence, see her potential. And what I remember mostly about that but as you said, that life-changing moment was I was in such a, a bad place and I was really confused 15-year-old because um, I saw in color and, and the world around me was very black and white and, and I didn't know what to do with all this stuff because it wasn't cool, you know, to be an artist. Um, and I realized that she saw me, that I felt someone really got me and we had a lovely connection throughout the next two and a half years when I finished out high school, she would always check in on me and make sure I, and I did really well. I ended up winning a big art award uh, that's given to one student in every district uh, called the Alexander art award. And it was held at the Metropolitan Museum. It was a big deal. I, I, I remember that so vividly how she was just such a cheerleader, whichever direction I went. You know, it wasn't just her saying you should be this. It was more like I said, she just really saw me. And that gave me a, a whole edge of, of a confused 15-year-old to come back that next year and just really be authentic. And um, I remember I knew all the cool kids, but I was the one that went to school. <laughs> you know, they all said, no, Ant's cool. He goes to school, but he, you know, but I knew all the, I, I knew all of them. I knew all the ones that weren't going and, there was a respect and, 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 and then yet I just beat it to my own drum at that point. And again, I pay a lot of, uh, a lot of that to my parents. You know, they really got through that. I was their last of the bunch. So they thankfully had more reference how to handle it. And my mom luckily then gave me a job right after school. So I was busy. I didn't have time, you know, to, <laughs> you are a busy to, guy. Yeah, to, to figure out, you know, what else I can do. So I, I basically went to school and worked. And that was that. And it really kept me in, in, in line. So, I yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It sure is interesting. Mm. And it's come to my attention that from what I understand, that you and family enjoy watching the Academy Awards ceremony every year. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that. And and what do you take away personally and as an artist when you watch the Academy Awards every year? I would like to share with you that I can relate to that because even as a young boy, I couldn't Mm -hmm. wait to watch the Oscars every year. And you know what? For me, it's a celebration of film. And and I just uh, I look yeah. forward to it every year. And I just would love to get your response on all of that. Oh, I mean, God, you know, back then we didn't have cable. We didn't have, um, you know, the, the, the DVR that you could tape 
you know, you had to watch it live and it was such an event. I mean, you go back probably, you know, as far as I do, where, you know, when, when, a, when a certain film came on, The Wizard of Oz, it was a big deal. The Ten Commandments was a big deal because That's you didn't right. see it. Every year. If you missed it, yeah. you'd have to wait till next year. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. So the, as you said, the Academy Awards, it was like a big event. It was like the Super Bowl for the for film. Um, so yeah, my parents and, and all of us would get popcorn and we'd all sit around and, and I remember, you know, the air conditioning, I, no, that was back then. I think it was in, still in February, but it was, it was cozy. I remember just that feeling, um, of watching it with my family and, you know, my mom was funny. She'd always look at the fashion and <laughs> as, as all women do, uh, for the most part with, with the other gowns and all that. Uh, for me, I didn't love that whole parade part of it, but I did love the, the speeches, and I remember, um, you know, the actors that I admired. I remember Kirk Douglas talking about. My dad actually looked like Kirk Douglas. is really weird, um, but so I always felt very connected to Mr. Kirk. And I remember him saying, "You have to have really thick skin, really thick skin, to do this." And, you know, like elephant skin, because it's not nice what you have to endure. The rejection is, is severe. Um, and you have to know how to just rip it right off. I just remember that. He said that at one of the Oscars. And, of course, Dustin Hoffman and Brando and all. I, yeah, I just loved it. So many amazing speeches. I get inspired, too. Yeah, we watch it today. Um, my wife and I love it. We make a big deal out of it. We usually try to have like a little bit of a, a hosting an Oscar party. You'll go to one. And it's just fun. It would be wonderful. You know? Yeah, I actually worked them one year, believe it or not. When I lived in L.A., I lived in L.A. in 96. And a friend of mine was working in catering. She says, look, I can get you in if you want to do this. And part of me was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to work the Oscars that way. <laughs> I always thought I'd be at the Oscars a different way. But my friend said, look, go, just, you know, experience it and see what it's like. So I did. And it was uh, actually quite fun. I was a terrible waiter. Terrible. <laughs> I just, I was, well, so you may have been distracted a little bit too. <laughs> oh, I was, I mean, I would be looking and Meryl Streep was behind me along with Cindy Pollack and they were just having this chit chat and I just oh, wanted wow. to jump in and Mel Gibson standing next to me with his Oscar and Oprah Winfrey walking by asking where the, you know, where the bathroom was. And I remember we were chatting for a moment. Robin Williams was there. And Christopher Reeve and Susan Sarandon was next to me winning that year uh, for that man walking. And I, and I remember I walked by her and I almost brushed up against the Oscar and I, I was like in a dream. It was crazy. It was just, but it was nice because after about 20 minutes of seeing a sea of stars, uh, I was so immune to it. And I thought, Oh, Oh, okay. I can do this. So that was fun. So I took that away with me and uh, I did do one thing. I talked about manifesting earlier when I was next to Susan. I always, always loved Susan Sarandon. I said, oh, I'm going to work with her one day. And the following year, or two years later, I got cast in Stepmom as a, as a waiter, of all things. And I had a scene with her and Ed Harris. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of me is cut, but I, was, I spent the full day with them. And I just thought, how weird was that? Just two years later. Um, here I am now in the movie set, you know, the only, the only principal player besides them that day. It was very cool. 
And, you know, I just didn't know what that was. I was like, is that coincidence? Is that me telling the universe? I don't know. You know, it was one of those weird moments. But I remember that going right by her. And I just thought, I'm going to work with you. Well, that is uh, a very, uh, I think of that as just a surreal story. But it's also an example of, uh, you know, you know this, Anthony, expect the unexpected. I mean, you really can't overemphasize that. I, I think uh, mm -hmm. as an actor in particular, that phone could ring. You could be working with people you maybe didn't originally anticipate. And I no, think that true. preparation is where you have to be ready for such an opportunity. But that is amazing, Anthony. You were a waiter at the Oscars. And then a couple years later, later there you are working with some of the people yeah. you saw at the ceremony. It was like a year later. It was like a year later. Yeah. Not too much longer. It's crazy, yeah. And no, it really was. Uh, and I was going to move to L.A. I was all set. But then I booked uh, a job in uh, a big commercial, and I got an agent in New York. And then I booked this film that's shot in Hong Kong. And I was flown to Hong Kong, and I went back to L.A., kind of wrapped things up there, and then I came back home. And then I got an agent. So it was like, oh, I guess I'm staying. And all my friends ended up leaving to go to LA. So I would have been there probably for the last 24 years, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually okay that we ended up staying on the East coast. I like, I like weather change. I hate winter, but I do like the weather change. And I like, I like seasons. I feel like there's a shedding that happens with seasons. Don't you think? I agree. I'm here in Cincinnati and we definitely experience all four seasons and you're right. You know what? Yeah. When fall comes up, uh, not huh, seems like not too far away when you think about it in a way. But when it comes up, you're that's a great description. It's like mm -hmm. it's like shedding. It's like you feel like refreshed. Like there's like a new right. perspective, new new opportunities. Mm -hmm. I feel that way every season. Well, spring, for example, I noticed on the East Coast when the spring comes, people are just so light and happy and out. And really about, you know, when we didn't have the pandemic, if you remember, you know, back in last April, how we were all just like, you know, the cafes are open and there's a buzz in the air and people are smiling. I don't think if that's every day, it's going to have that. Whereas I love LA and I love the weather, but I, I, I did kind of feel like Groundhog's Day there. You know, it's never felt change. It was a little disconcerting. And... But that wasn't the reason why I didn't move there. It was really mainly because of the work. Had I probably not signed with an agent or put that commercial, I probably would have never uh, left. I would have probably moved there. But, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I met my wife. And, uh, so we're all good. You know, we're all good. Well, you know, Anthony, I noticed that you studied at the British American Drama Academy in Oxford, England. Mm -hmm. I had to ask you about that experience. Well, you know, uh, remember, I, uh, I was just talking a little bit about Julie Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. But one of the things that I had put in my kind of like my trajectory for the next two years, I said, I'd love to get proper Shakespeare trained. Because at that point, I had been acting, I had booked some work. I was on TV already. But I didn't feel like I had this orthodox background. And I was a little afraid of it. I did study a little Shakespeare in college, which turned me on to it. So I, I took a class 
uh, with Judith Shakespeare Company, which is uh, held by Joanne Sape, dear friend of mine, teacher, amazing, amazing teacher, taught me everything. Um, and I said to her, you know, I'd love to do this. Would you help me? And I want to audition for this pro, you know, for this Oxford program. So she, so she helped me. Uh, you know, we we selected the monologues, and she worked with me. I had an audition at Juilliard. Uh, that's where they held the auditions, and then we, and then I got placed. Um, and uh, to my surprise, they placed me in the presidential uh, program, which was the higher program, it was the more experienced. And I, I thought, oh, I think they made a mistake. <laughs> but I think they were going by my, you know, I was thirty-one at the time. I think they were going by my my age. They were going by my my work and my training. I had some good training, so. I was thrilled because I, I had the best summer of my life, best summer of my life. I learned everything probably that I needed to fulfill the, the, the you know, to, to fill the glass of what I needed as an artist. Because I had a lot of other things. I didn't understand language. And what I've learned, how language really right now is the first thing that starts to trigger all the work that I've done on myself as an actor, you know, for the instrument to play. Um, and I didn't understand that until I went there. And I'll give you an example. When I was there, uh, I was fighting it and I would have to feel and I would have to, you know, try to emote emotion. And my teachers were always saying, Oh, Anthony, <laughs> you just, you came all this way, do it our way. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? And then one day they said, just let the language tell you what to do. And then I did that. And the vowels and the consonants and all of that, all of a sudden everything started to happen and I didn't have to do anything. It just started to happen. And I flipped. Like I literally flipped, Steve, and I just went, wow. I didn't know this. And because of that program is actually why, when I became an actor. So what I got out of that, uh, it was in many ways, was a, a, an added way of working. Cause now I don't consider myself a method actor or a Meissner actor. I kind of use what I need. I am those things, but I don't define myself by those things. I studied at the actor studio for years. I studied at the Northern Playhouse with people, you know, who studied there. Um, so for me, it's, it's uh, it, this, this, this whole kind of European way of working with language. Cause if you look at the Brits, man, they really know, language like nobody they really do they really focus on language so uh it changed my whole way of working and i came back very excited and uh i think i told you this the other day on the phone i went back to be a waiter and my and my uh boss said no you're too talented i don't want you here <laughs> <laughs> go go find another way to make a living. And then I out of need and need is always a good way to, you know, push yourself. I put an ad out in backstage and I, and I started a class. And to my surprise, I had a full class within like a few months and I started with 12 and now I have about when I was on my full schedule in the, in, in the city, I had about 90 students, private students. Now I have about 74 students. So yeah, I mean it's just uh, it's so amazing how you don't know one thing is going to lead to the next, um, but just listening. And then once I learned that I loved teaching, I thought, wow, 
this is a perfect parallel career to what I do because I still act. I'm very active as an actor. I'm not a teacher who doesn't act anymore. I'm a teacher who does to go out in the field and work. And, and that's why I like directing too. So if I'm not acting, I'll direct. And I'll tell you, uh, it's interesting. Uh, last night I had a dream, believe it or not. Uh, I was working on O'Neill play with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I never dream about stars or celebrities. But he's been somebody that I've always revered the way he handled his, his fame and his career was that he was still a theater actor. He was still directing. He was still acting. He did a film. He did a play. I would just love, love that. That's where I'd like to see myself. People say, what career would you like to emulate? And I would say uh, Brian Cranston and Philip Seymour. I would love that. So uh, that's when that hit me. And, uh, and then I started working at different schools uh, as well as my keeping my private class. I always kept my private class. It was one of those things that I really liked having my own voice without someone telling me how I needed to, you know, cover the material. Uh, and then I, the, my very last position was at uh, the New York um, Conservatory for the Dramatic Arts, nice that they call it. And I was there for like three years. And it was a good experience. I learned a lot about how to work with a program. Um, and I taught my own program prior with my own studio in the early 2000s. I had Breakthrough Studio. But uh, this was different. It was definitely more corporate. And uh, so I had to kind of fit in their box, if you will. And partly why I'm not there anymore was because I was working a lot. And, you know, that one point they just said, we really need more consistency. And I thought it was kind of a, a surprise reason, but I, I totally understand why. But, you know, they said we'd rather have somebody not working as much. And I thought, well, wouldn't that help your, your enrollment? But that's just, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> uh, but I understood from their end they needed that consistency. So we, we parted very amicably, and, uh, but because they let me go, you know, and they didn't bring me back, rather, they didn't let me go, they just didn't bring me back, and we had this chat, it kind of forced me to throw myself into the ring and create my own, you know, program. So right now, I have six full classes of my own, which, you know, was pretty cool, considering I didn't really advertise. And it's mostly word of mouth. And because of my my work, I think, speaks for itself. So I, I think that's one of the reasons. And, and thankfully for the platform of social media. I know we're friends now on, on, on Facebook. And, you know, I do post a lot about my career as an actor. And I post a lot of my you know, students who get work and who have worked because of class. And not because of me. I, I never take credit for that. I do take credit that they came and they worked out with me, but they did the work. It's always about, you have to do the work. You can't just take a class and expect to work. You have to do the work. So every student that has gone on to do very well, there's no surprise to me because they're a great student and they did the work. So that's how I discovered this parallel career that I'm blessed to, to have. Because I could be, and I had every job you could think of, Stephen. I, I painted apartments. I was a solicitor on the streets. I worked in department stores. 
and those obnoxious people trying to get you to buy stuff. I've I've waited tables. I've bartended. I, I've done catering, which I hated. Um, yeah, I did everything. I washed the windows. I just whatever I could do to pay my you know m- m- my rent in my twenties, but nothing ever spoke to me and made me feel like I had a voice. And what I discovered as 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 we get older, you know, what is it that you need? And I said, wow, what I discovered was that I needed to have my voice. I needed to have a voice. And, and it's very hard for me to work with people because I have a voice. And if I express my opinion, sometimes I didn't like it. And I'm just that guy. I'm going to be truthful and I'm not going to sit back and, and not be truthful. So sometimes it got me into trouble and I lost jobs, but that's okay. You, know, you, you learn. Yes, you do. And one of your students is a person that I know well and I think very highly of, and that is Randy Sloan. And she Mm. sent me a message that she thought uh, such good things about you, had high esteem for you as an acting instructor. And I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you. Yeah, Randy has become a a, a close friend as well as a, a colleague, student. Um, she came to me like a couple of years ago, like three years ago, studied with me for like two years and has been kind of on a hiatus for the last year because she's gotten involved in producing and acting in film. And, and, and I love to watch when a student takes off, you know, in her own power and her own flight. She's a strong personality and she gets things done. She's no business. I mean, she's a mother of two. One of them has gone to college which we have a lot in common. My daughter's like in, in going into junior year. So, you know, we're always looking at the timeline together and I've met her husband and her family and we did a film in her house. I directed it. She was my, my first AD on that. So she's, yeah, she's one of those very special keepers. You know, I like to call certain students keepers, you know, there's students that come and go and then there's yes. students that just, become a part of your, your, your path. And I, I think she's definitely the latter. Well, she's become a good friend of mine and I yeah. think so highly of her and you described her perfectly. I, I'm yeah. really impressed with just her, not only her uh, accomplishments, Anthony, but her efforts and, and her willing to dig in and work hard to achieve it. And, and I really admire that about Randy a lot. Oh Yeah. She just, you know, when she puts her mind to something, she doesn't come up with excuses. She does it. She gets it done. And she's a fantastic lady, too. And she's a really good actor. And, you know, and she's learned to to really work on those things that, you know, when you're in class, it's not necessarily that you can't act or you don't know how to act. It's more about what can I do to strengthen what I'm good at. Uh, and, and then recognize where I tend to fault, you know, or default so that you can start to come up with other ways of, of, you know, crafting, uh, to me, class is like a gym, you know, you come in and you work and and you try things and you keep trying things. And, and sometimes you're stronger on the right hand and sometimes you're weaker on the left hand, but how you get better is if you use the left hand more. So a lot of what I do in my classroom is, is a technical side of, you know, TV and film. And then there's the practical side of understanding the formula that the writers are giving you in television 
and knowing what's expected from the artist so that you can come in and immediately show the writer, I understand this and I, and I, and I understand what you need from me. And then you honor yourself, meaning you only bring yourself and you never try to act at the role if it's something that's different than who you are. There's not a role that you can't find yourself in there. There's many facets to every human. And what I've discovered over the years is that, you know, you go to, you know, to class to get a better understanding of yourself so that you can then know where to trigger those places in you based on your life and based on your imagination. Uh, you know, Stella Adler would always say, you know, your life's not big enough. You know, the writers don't write normal, you know, average people. They, they write heightened reality for a reason because it's more engaging and it's more complex. So for her, you know, what I loved that Randy did was that she would come in and we work on her voice and we would work on, you know, breath. We were, you know, just technical stuff. And then we would work on understanding, you know, where the event is. And she would just come in with that kind of game plan. So that's how I like to teach, um, is to always find you in it. I don't like to mold you into something else. It's like, okay, we got to just bring out all of you and own it. So as I get to know you, Steve, if you were in my class, then I start to see what you do that your essence is reading like so that the business can gravitate to it. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And I am so glad I brought up Randy because it also gave me an opportunity to hear you describe your class in even more detail. And Anthony, thank you so much. My personal instincts tell me that any person, any actor would be fortunate to, to train with you. I wanted to be sure. Oh, thank that. you. Well, oh, before we you. get to your, you know, I know you have some recent projects, both as an actor and director, even award-winning, yeah. and I'll give you a chance to, to share those. I did have sure. a couple questions about your television career, Anthony, because first of all, when I see you in clips, I told you this uh, recently, I'm just so impressed. You do such oh, a thank you. really great job, and I uh, just really enjoy watching your work. But I was thinking... Two things. One, what do you consider perhaps being your first big break when it comes to primetime television shows? Like a show where you went, wow, this is like a really big step up. And second of all, and this question, Anthony, I'm very curious because it actually is being asked to Anthony, the actor, the director, and the teacher. And that is this, because I was thinking about this moments before we spoke today. It's one of those last minute inspirations. You have worked with so many people on these primetime television shows that have some of them decades of experience in the industry, um, mm. very talented people. And I'm just wondering, is there something about the really, really good ones? And I'm, you know, yes, it starts with natural talent, I understand. But is there something about their preparation or their approach to scenes that you've noticed with the the ones that stand out in your mind? Because you've been around so many. So well, that's a two-part question for you. I'm going to know how to answer that. That's funny. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, when I booked Jessica Jones for Marvel, that was the... And, and, and I've done a lot of TV prior to that co-stars and some of the co-stars back in, you know, the early 2000 were bigger and now they're a lot smaller, but for whatever reason, this particular role, I got to kind of, um, 
really drive the scene, if you will. It was my scene. My character was basically, uh, you know, the, the station manager of this particular character for where she worked. So I really had to um, show up, if you will, and be a part of it. Whereas sometimes when you're a co-star, you're there kind of to push the information to the next scene. What I was saying, uh, you know, when, when I was on set for Jessica Jones, I really got to kind of self-direct as well, meaning uh, coming in with ideas and, and asking the director, can I try this? I want to try this. For example, she wanted me to be eating. And when I worked on it, I, I just thought, well, if I'm sitting and then I stand and I have a plate in my hand, it's going to be clumsy. So I said, you know, I'd love if I could have like a mug, you know, like I'm drinking coffee. And she was like, oh, yeah, we'll give him a mug. And, and by the way, boom, you know, props come in and they give me a mug. And then I kind of blocked it with the actor. And and I even asked her at one point, when I get up, I'm going to kiss you. Would that be OK? You know, like, like a hug. And it was just like, that's the day that I, uh, that I went, oh, man, this is nice. This is nice. You know what I mean? Like, I can do this. I can do this, you know? Um, so that's the first part of your question was like, when was that moment of, you know, when you felt like you were working on a, a different level, if you will. Um, yeah. And there was this particular moment because I've been a director and because I've been teaching and using the camera and knowing if you don't see it, it won't see you that I, at one point I knew the camera couldn't see me and I just slowly like leaned forward and the director went, I was just going to ask you to do that. <laughs> and I looked at him and we had this like symbiotic kind of connection of like, I got you. You got me. You know, it was, it was just one of those really wonderful experiences of that particular. And But the second time I went on set, because I was a recurring role, uh, I worked with Janet McTeer, who you know, I don't know if you know who that is, but she's a Tony Award winning actress. She's been nominated for many Oscars. Um, brilliant, brilliant actress, stage actress. And to answer the question in part two, I'll, I'll use her as an example. When she showed up on set and I got to meet her, it was one of those like, oh, you know, oh my God, it's Jennifer. I didn't know that. But what I loved was that we immediately started crafting and I watched her take care of herself. Like she walked through the set and she was like, I'm going to need that to be moved to here so I have an eye line. And she was just so focused. And that's, you know, if that answers that part of your question of, of, you know, what I learned from the, you know, these real seasoned you know, people who've done a lot more television and film is Being that focused. there's a focus, there's a focus and there's a concentration level that you have to have because it's, it's, it's quick. It's, it's, you know, TV is a lot faster than film. So uh, that was really, I felt like a little fly on the wall, just watching her craft take over you know her and not, not take over where she was being you know over overriding the, the you know the director it was more like the the in the back and forth and i've done now so many indies that uh i i experienced that always on an indie set because they allow you to do that uh because there's no stars and you know no one's worried they just want to get the best product so i usually come in with my ideas so I thought, oh, okay, so there's nothing really that different other than you're allowed to take care of yourself. So when I moved on to do FBI, which was another guest star, I, I remember the, the feeling of me just feeling open enough to tell the director, can I try this? Can I try that? 
And he'd be like, yeah, I like that. Do that. Um, and then I also kind of scored it out in terms of like, I always think of scenes like a musicality of the scene where the high points are and then where the pause is. So it's like the build, if you will. And I did this hold on, on that particular scene that not only did they use it, they actually extended it. So I had this long close up of me just pondering what I was going to do. And then I revealed the information that they wanted. So, and I teach this stuff. So, you know, I, it's just so funny because I, you know, it was like, well, I put my money where my mouth is. And so, uh, yeah. So that was like, though, I, I would say those two last projects were, were, were pretty different in that sense. Although I've always been like that, even in my co-stars, my very first law and order, I had seven, eight law and orders. Now my very first one, I was, uh, I showed up to the audition and there was this Italian kind of character who was a wife beater. <laughs> and I show up and there's these and there's these big guys with, you know, little uh muscle uh what do they call them? Um white beater t shirts. And I didn't want to wear that. So I wore this uh mechanic kind of looking shirt with the arms like kind of rolled up open with that shirt underneath it. Well, I come in and they have me work and I just came back from Oxford. So they were like, uh, dude, aren't you from New York? <laughs> I said, yeah. They <laughs> said, well, what the hell happened to your accent? I was like, well, give me a second. So I, I laughed and I said, I just came back from England. Be what? I was saying brilliant. You know, I was having a boy. Anyway, I, I go and do it and, uh, I put on my accent and I just kind of embodied my family and I booked it. So when I booked it, uh, I show up to wardrobe and the lady has this little white t-shirt, you know, the, you know which we like to call them giddy tees. And I just kind of rolled my eyes like, oh, and she went, what? I was like, well, I hate to tell you. I was like, but if I may, it's kind of cliche. You know, if he's a wife beater, it's called a wife beater t-shirt. You know, he, I don't hit my wife in the show. It's just mentioned that he's got a, a heavy hand or whatever. Anyway, long story short, she says, well, what would you wear? And I was like, well, I, I, I mean, a jean jacket cut off, you know. So sure enough, I show up on set and she has a jean jacket with it. So I was so pleased that I didn't get to just wear the tank. Because I just, I, you know, I, I have a thing about the stereotypes. And being Italian-American, I'm very sensitive to to depicting that. So I had to find my way in on it. Which was was fun, and I'm glad I didn't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, because they could have easily said he's a pain in the ass, you know. But I'm like that on a lot of my sets. I ask questions, and I want to make sure that we're all aiming for the same. I like you know, that finish line. I admire yeah. that. It shows you care. Mm. You want to get it right, mm -hmm. and I totally I agree. Do. Um, I, you know, I like to think outside of the box instead of putting labels on every single thing. And you know, uh, Anthony, in life, the, another thing about being in the situation we're in, it's just more and more I realize things are not always A or B. Like there's a lot of complexion to one issue. Uh, there may be a few things that are right or wrong, of course, but what I mean is sometimes there's just all sorts of layers to a situation or even creating a character and glad to hear that. Well, let's see here. 
you have two new projects that um, mm-hmm. I'm very interested in hearing about. It appears that these are also award-winning. And one is as, as an actor, and, and, and one is as a director. So as an actor, uh, it looks like the title was Kill Al. Is that correct? Yes. All right. It looks like it's an indie sci-fi thriller. And what would you like to say mm-hmm. about that project? Well, that, that was a gift. Um, I met the co-star, who's also the producer and wife to the director who wrote this for her, on another film. And we got on real well. And she told her husband, I'd really like to work with Anthony. And he pretty much wrote this with me in mind, which was, that's the gift. But not only was it just, you know, a role that was, you know, kind of tailored, I guess, for who I am. Well, not really, because it's not me at all, this kind of character, but there is parts of it. But um, he, he wrote a fascinating study of abuse of power right before the whole Harvey Weinstein scandal. So the movie is not just about robots and femtel robots. It's more about, you know, what triggered the takeover of, you know, the sci-fi of robots. And a lot of it is mistreating of them. And my character does something kind of appalling sexually to one of them. And uh, that was pretty challenging. And I remember we, what was wonderful about that film was we actually had a read through and he was so open. This is a dear friend now of mine, Walter Brandes. He, he was so open to suggestion of making the best film we can make. So I would pop in some of my ideas and the other actors would. And, and then we did this incredible rehearsal for it, which I have to tell you, you don't usually get rehearsal. And it was great to have that because we, we improv things that allowed me to kind of tap into the mindset of this guy and uh, this whole control. He was this like big CEO kind of rich guy um, who gets really depressed from something that happens. And because of that, it triggers him to become this kind of predator. It's interesting. Uh, that how he went about it. And, uh, you know, I was nervous. I was really nervous because there were some uncomfortable scenes in it and not like where you see anything and like, you know, it was more implied and, uh, and hard to watch. So what I loved about that was that it really challenged me artistically. And then when he finished it, I did ask, is there any way I can see that before you screen it? just so I could be prepared. And, you know, he said, I normally wouldn't because, you know, most directors rather you wait. But he said, under the circumstances, of course. And then I knew immediately we were going to be good friends. And he showed it to me and I was like, wow, okay. That's some raw work there. And I remember thinking it was the first time ever that I just allowed myself to just breathe and take space in a film. And because of that, I've won three best actors for this role in multiple festivals. So, well, congratulations. Uh, yeah, it's well been deserved. thank you. It, I mean, it's just been a gift, really. I mean, when I say that, just in every aspect, it has been a wonderful ride. We've been to over 50 festivals with it. Um, people really respond to it. You know, they want to hate me, but they don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
And uh, it was the first time I think I ever felt that kind of freedom, if you will, to just kind of, and this is what I teach a lot in my classes, being and breathing, being and breathe. Um, It's the first time I actually felt that, doing that particular role. So that was fun. And you also won an award for directing for Extradition. Extradition. Yeah, it's a political drama, and um, it was a pilot. It started out, actually, oddly enough, uh, a student of mine, Anna, just, she said to me, hey, would you direct this? Uh, we're trying to get some footage for our reel, and because she's this international, you know, um, you know, character, she, she really wanted to embody that in the, in, in the scene work. So with that, it then developed into a short. And then they decided to make it a pilot. So I said, sure, I'll do it. I, I, I don't know if I had a lot of you know, understanding of it until I read it. So I read it and I was like, man, this is challenging. And then she said, can you play the Russian? Who's this part of the Russian hacker? And I thought, well, and funny enough, I had just talking to my manager at the time. And we were saying how I need to get a Russian role. <laughs> So this presented itself, and I thought, well, I can't say no to it. So I had to learn how to do a Russian accent, and I did that within two days. Um, I wish I had more time. And then I was also directing it, and it was done in one day in a hotel suite. And we used different parts of the suite to make it look like different places in the, in, in the pilot. Yeah, and then we had uh, one edit, and then we re-edited it um, with a director friend of mine, John Gallagher, who kind of gave us some nice tips. Uh, to trim it up and change a couple of things. And because of that, we then started getting into almost every festival we applied to and we won awards. And then I won the Best Director Award recently at Hell's Kitchen um, Film Festival. So that was unexpected and exciting. You know, that was my first time ever winning a director. Well, congratulations. But, yeah, but I had just won for Best Actor for The Blind Date, this other film that was very controversial, I didn't play a, a bad guy at all. Um, it was actually the closest you, you would ever get to me as far as like my sensibility, the way I sound, the way I, you know, there was nothing to hide behind. I wasn't drunk. I wasn't high. I wasn't weird. I was just, uh, it was just very, it was just very raw. And um, it was a great part. It was a play that was made into a film. And uh, yeah, I won two best actors for that one that uh, again, I didn't expect that at all. It was uh it was a two day shoot and it was hard. We had nine minute takes. It was like doing a play. And I oh. thought, are you ever, I know one point we were in the scene work and normally you don't think about what's happening on the outside, but I remember me going, when are they going to cut? <laughs> I was <laughs> it's like, been a while. Going on? I, I mean, no lie. It was like nine pages. That's unheard of. You don't shoot nine pages in one day. But the director was doing it on purpose because he really wanted to get this feeling of the uncomfortableness in the scene because you think I'm on a date with a young woman and it turns out to be something else. And mm. I don't want to give it away, but it's a wonderful film. It's wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing it, uh, the description of that. Yeah. Well, you know, Long Island International Film Festival, Life, it's called. Um, Last year had a few films of mine, and this year they have five films of mine. And the blind date's going to show there. With uh, extradition was there last year, 
Well, I'm just so, so impressed yeah, with your achievements. Nice. Ah, thanks. But, you know, uh, awards are funny. You know, growing up, I never won awards in sports or anything. You know, I won an art award and a couple of certificates here and there. So I never really acted for any of these. You know, you don't go into a role thinking you're going to win, a, you know, any kind of award for it. So whenever there's, you know, a nomination or a win, you just go, wow, that's cool. You know, it's it's not it's not going to change my life, but it definitely is kind of reminding you that you're doing the right that you're in the right place. Yes, that makes well sense. said. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, Anthony, I'll share with you that when I was in high school and I took trauma, mm-hmm. you know, I had a, a lot of shyness and. It, Kind of similar to your experience. It was just an eye-opening experience. I I really wanted to to be involved with acting. That much I knew. But at the end of the school year, we had an award ceremony for the drama students. And even to this day, this just means so much to me. First of all, I did not anticipate winning. But I couldn't believe it when the teacher uh, stood up and said, the winner for Best Actor... This school season is Stephen Brittingham. Oh, we have a tie. And Stephen Brittingham. I won two, one for a comedy and one for a drama. And you know, to this day, it just has so much meaning. And at that moment, I realized that, wow, I I mean, people might actually enjoy my my performance or my work as an actor. That's really stayed with me. You brought that back to me. Yeah, I mean, look, again, like, there's nothing better than knowing that you're getting an accolade for something you really put hard work and love in. But at the same notion, you know, I've been on so many of these festivals that sometimes, you know, it's, it's timing, just like the Oscars, you know, it's timing sometimes. Um, That's all I can say. You know, I, I, I've, I've seen people win that probably wouldn't have won otherwise. Uh, I've, you know, just witnessed a lot of people who know people and that can, you know, so I don't put too much weight onto it in terms of, is this going to change anything? What I will say, like roles like Brandon from Kill Al and, and this doctor I played in The Blind Date, Adam, his name was, um, you know, those films, I, I felt something happening. You know, it's like when you're when you're in a place and you go, oh, something changed, something's going on here. Like I feel something. So when that happens, that's always great. But I don't bank on it, you know. Right. Absolutely. Just, you know, I, you know, I, just going to the. I was at the uh, Buford Film um, International Film Festival, one of the finest film festivals I've been to. Uh, attendance for every screening is over three hundred and fifty people, and. Um, parties and just the whole way they handled it. What a wonderful, wonderful curated festival. Uh, and I was nominated, as I mentioned to you, with some big heavy hitters like Dylan Baker and Joe Pantaleone. Um, Just being nominated, honestly, I was so honored. You know, the win would have been great, but honestly, it was it was really just being nominated. My friend it's true. It is an I honor, isn't it? We, yeah. we hear it and think it's a yeah. cliche, but it's it's really true. And I purposely watched all the films, you know, just to see. And the one who they ended up winning was Tim Rabuto, who uh, was in a feature. I was in a short. Uh, and that's interesting to have shorts and features, you know, in the same category, which I thought was strange. 
uh, only because there's more, you know, time that he had, screen time. But he was wonderful. And if I had to lose, I thought that's the one I'd like to lose to, you know, and I'm being honest. So uh, there was never a weird feeling about it. There was never like a robbed feeling about it. Sometimes I've been to some festivals and they would give it to somebody. I go, eh, you know, whatever. You know, you know, I don't know the reasons, whatever. So, so again, I don't put too much into it. I just, I just, you know, acknowledge that I'm uh, happy to be here. There you and go. That's thank a you for great perspective. Yeah. And thank you for, you know, even noticing the work. That's, that's key. Well, your work is very noticeable. Let me just add that. Oh, uh, thank you. Oh, thanks, buddy. Well, before we conclude here, I have another two-part yeah. question. <laughs> Usually sure. I don't always take that approach, but I just think it kind of makes sense to me because they tie into each other. The first part would be, do you think of yourself as an actor first before anything else, before director, before teacher? Uh, I'm sure it's neck and neck in many ways, but is that what you think of first? I think I know what the answer is, but you're the one to provide that answer. And and then lastly, and this is another thing that just occurred to me moments ago when I was listening to you uh, speak, and that is, despite all of the roles you've portrayed, sounds like there's been a lot of variety my question is, is there still a role on your wish list? Let's say it's historical. Let's say it's a certain profession. Or let's say it's the opposite. Maybe it's not a very good person, so to speak, you want to portray. I mean, is there a role that you just have not experienced yet that, that, that you just really want to experience someday? So that's my two-part finals questions. I love it. Those are great questions. Well, thank you. I appreciate well, it. Yeah. Um, you know, according to how my career unfolded, so I'm going to go with actor, then director, teacher, and then photographer. So what I do is I always have an actor who directs. I'm an actor who teaches. I never say I'm a teacher. I never say I'm a director. Um, as I said earlier to somebody on the phone, to me, a director is somebody who goes to film school and learns all the inner workings of how to do that shot themselves. I don't know how to do that. You know, that's not where I'm strong at. I'm strong at working with the talent. So my vision is there. And then I have the right people that I implement to execute what I want. Um, I learned a lot being on set and how it works. But And I sat in editing room. And I don't know how to necessarily cut, which I probably could if someone sat me down and taught me. But I like to say, hold that moment there. And I, I understand the musicality of a scene. I understand the, the, the feeling that I want from the scene and the music and all that part of the directing I love because it's your kind of final stamp on it. You know what I mean? But again, Absolutely. it's about finding... And it's about finding those right people to do that. I have a guy that does all my scoring and we have a wonderful relationship. He's done three of them. He did extradition, which is like this political drama. And he made this film sound just like what I wanted. I told him I wanted something like a house of cards, totally nailed it. And then we did a comedy that I directed last year that just won an award. I'm very proud of that. Um, it's called My Life as a Doormat, and it was based on this middle-aged woman having a crisis, and then she gets hit in the head, and she goes into sort of like a, a, a coma, and while she's under the coma, she goes back in time, 
and you discover where she went wrong or where she derailed from her dream. So I really had fun with that. And we wanted this kind of whimsical music and he came up with amazing, amazing score. So, so happy. So we've worked quite a bit and he also did this film called Swipe Right that did really well, another comedy, romantic comedy. So yeah, I think it's about a lot to do with um, directing to me is uh, something that I, that came from being, uh, I think an actor and knowing how to work with actors. Uh, so that's where that, I, I, I felt most comfortable. I did direct before I taught uh, theater. I did a lot of, you know, and directing in theater. But uh, I love the visualization of, of being a film director. So, yeah, so I would say I'm an actor first and then, and then director and teacher. Very and so it kind of unfolded exactly how my career went. The second part, the role that I, I would love to do, if you know the film Kramer versus Kramer. I do. I would love a role like that where there's a, mm. a struggle over who's going to parent, uh, you know, a child of that age. You know, I did a short called Any Given Tuesday where I lose a child around seven in an accident that is all takes place in my kind of flashbacks and very sad, very emotional film. Um, it's kind of like my Manchester by the Sea character I kind of based it on. But that film, if they ever did a remake or something of that kind of role, I'd love to do that. You know, this very busy mm -hmm. kind of, you know, workaholic, just all of a sudden his life gets totally turned upside down. The wife leaves him, leaves him with the kid. Would love a role like that. Would really would love a role like that. And then another one would be the father, um, like Donald Sutherland, who's one of my favorite actors um, in Ordinary People. Yes. Where you're dealing with the tragic loss of, of a family member and, and it's more to do with how you survive that rather than dealing with just, you know, exploring the loss. It's more exploring the, the, the degeneration of the marriage. So that would be fun. So something like that. I'd love to do. Kramer versus Kramer. That's an excellent choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it is about that. You know, have that, have that, you that seen role. marriage story? I did. And I did actually think a lot about that. That happened to, to me that. too. I, I would yeah, say that since like, Kramer versus Kramer, as far as divorce in mm -hmm. a family, this has to rank way up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, I really admired um, the boldness of that film. And, yes. And the modernness that they brought to it. But I definitely saw a lot of echoing of it. And I thought, oh, that's a role, man. That's a great part. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm a little older, it's a little harder to play somebody with a little kid. I still could. Um, yeah. I don't look my age necessarily, and people do have children older, but um, something to do with that. You know, about five years ago, I, I wanted to get more kind of corporate look in my in my repertoire, and I remember I said that I wanted I want to play like a mayor or something, and then boom, I got a phone call, and someone said, "Look, I'll write you a role in this. What do you want to play?" And I said, "All right, I want to play a mayor." And because of that film, I ended up playing a mayor in another film and then a corporate person in another film. And I had a lot of suits. And then I said I wanted to play a doctor. And then, boom, I got cast as a doctor. And, and then another doctor. And then another doctor. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. 
So I'm glad you asked that. Maybe I'll put that in play. That would be, that would <laughs> well, be so awesome. Well, I'm glad I asked it too. And may I also yeah. add, I hope I don't look my age either. That would be no, you nice. don't. I don't. I don't know your age, but you you look great. <laughs> well, look, age you. is I a number. Reached. You know, age. Honestly, age is a number. Yes. Um, I feel like I'm twenty something in my mind. You know, and I have energy of like a twenty something year old. It's just the, you know, the body uh, it does it. So you have to kind of you know work on keeping mobile and and agile. Oh yeah, I wake up in the morning sometime and go, oh man, I I almost I forgot that I wasn't in my twenties. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm full of energy you know, and ready to go. I wanted to add one thing before we leave. You know, I, I started in theater. I was a theater actor way first before I ever started film work. And uh, lucky for that, because one of these shorts that I did, I got cast in last minute. I auditioned for it. I didn't get the role. And then the person she had didn't work out. And then she called me. I had two days to learn a 30 page script. And I had to, uh, and she wanted it like, like theater. Another one, long takes. And I remember me and the young lady I was working with playing my wife. It's called The Table. It's really good. It's really good. There's a, might be a clip that I could, I, I don't know if it's on my website. It could be. Um, but she said to me, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, we just did like half the film sitting here, you know, because it's at a table. And, and, and in this restaurant, we're having this big fight. It's very Woody Allen. And I said, are you a theater actor? She went, yeah. I mean, me too. She goes, aren't we lucky? Because quite frankly, there was no other way we would have been able to pull that off. It was even longer takes than the blind day. So the theater work really, I think, transitioned beautifully to film, where I think it's harder to do the opposite. You take a film act and put them on stage, it's different. I can't fill it. You haven't had to fill that space. So, you know, just thinking about it, uh, you know, this whole career trip, you know, uh, the way it went as far as teaching. You know. So I thought I'd just share that. I, I, I thank you for that. I really enjoy yeah. your insight, Anthony. Oh, um, you. Are you sure you can't hang around for about maybe four or five more hours? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, look, I could talk acting all day. With you. you know, well, my wife used to work with. Yeah, my wife used to work with uh, a, a named actor. I can't really name him, but um, and he was, you know, pretty prevalent. I mean, he he's in a lot of films from the seventies. At any rate, um, I'll give you a hint. He was in Jaws, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> we would go out. We would go out to eat, and we would talk shop for hours. Like I just, I I just loved hearing his stories. He worked with Spielberg, and and uh, just. Loved it, and we talked about acting and crafting, and yeah, I love it. So yeah, I I, I could sit with you another four or five hours. Well, that so sure that sounds uh, really good to yeah. me. And Anthony, I well, thank you back. from the bottom of my heart for such a oh, thank you, brother. Wonderful conversation, and it's so sentimental and so full of insight and. And, and your stories are so much fun to listen to. And I feel like, you know, if there are actors out there listening, I'm, I mean, <laughs> they could just learn a few things just from hearing what you had to share. Thank you so much. And is oh, there a way for folks to find you on social media that you'd like to share? And, and also, how can they locate your website? Okay. So my website is anthonyrobertgrasso.com. 
And when they go to it, if they're interested in my, well, they should just spend some time. They can go into my acting side and the other side is my directing and it has news and it has my filmography and clips and all that good stuff. Um, my Facebook channel or handle is uh, Anthony Robert Grasso and my Instagram is A.R. Grasso. Got it. And by all means, they should get on because I do a lot of posting. Um, and I also, if they want to get on my mailing list, I do do uh, a mailer twice a month where I kind of like to give away some tidbits and some in- insight, as you will to things that they might, you know, find oh, useful. I'll have to sign up for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's in my uh, go teacher section and go to the news part and gotcha. you'll see the blog. The blog is uh, like nine tips that an agent might questions. Agents might ask you uh, nine tips well, that casting helpful. directors think about. Yeah. Nine yes. tips casting directors are thinking. Uh, and then the new one is eight tips. What to look for on a reel. So by all means, let them join my website and get my email. <laughs> well, Anthony, thank you great. for the visit. And it's so nice to speak with oh, someone Steve. from New York. And Thank you. you thank are you, most man. Welcome. I appreciated it completely. That was a lot of fun. All we needed was a beer. You know, all we needed you know, was a glass we, of wine I think a that's beer, the really. only thing that's missing is, is just yeah. a cold beer. I, I, I have to agree with you <laughs> on that. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, have me back. Yeah. Oh, I'm shooting something in September. So when I'm done with that, maybe we can come back and we can talk a little bit about that. That's my wife's film that she wrote and starring in. So I'm directing my wife in a month. Well, uh, consider this an advanced invitation to do so. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Hollywood and Beyond podcast created, produced, and hosted by actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening. Well, Anthony, when I was growing up, as I like to say, back in the 80s, we often played baseball with a tennis ball, though, in the street in the neighborhood that I grew up. And of course, when a car would come, someone would yell out car and we'd all have to run to the sidewalk. And and I wanted to mention that to you. Yeah, we used to do that. Um, The tennis ball, though, that, that must have went far. Yes, it did. <laughs> I mean, once you hit that, it, I would imagine that would go down the street. And we told ourselves we were going to miss windows, but um, there was a mishap once, and that kind of put an end to that to where we really had to play on base, actual baseball Oh, fans. wow. Yeah, that's fun, man. <laughs> I would love to see that. Do you have any footage of it? I wish I did. Only in my mind. I know. We don't. I know. I know. A lot of us are uh, it's interesting.